Stick Harrison Price for Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. Coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. If you're heading into downtown, want to make it for a game, for an event, make it a staycation. Call the wall, 604-331-1000. Ask for the Stick Harrison Price rate. Some blackout dates may apply. Matt Sikaris, alongside Jeff Patterson, continues to sit in for Blake Price. Gritty Assassins, which is conducting things with Madison Buckingham. Big show coming up for you, all presented by Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Kia Surrey, the 2024 Kia Nero EV. And the EV6, you get a complimentary EV charger or complimentary set of winter tires, Jeff, and those would have come in handy <laughs> yeah. yesterday during those snow squalls. I was down in Richmond yesterday. Boy, it was coming down. Pretty yeah, good. our place in North Van, uh, sure. mid-afternoon, a little bit of a whiteout. Fortunately, it didn't stick. I had to come back down for the hockey game, and by the time we were done with the rink wide, mm-hmm. the roads were fine. It was so wet. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Here's what I will say. Saw some of the images from Pemberton and Whistler. Boy, did they need some snow. It has not exactly been a ski yeah. season for the ages here, so hope the skiers up there got what they were looking for. Poll question today, has JT Miller proved you wrong? My hands up. Yes or no? <laughs> Vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. Get into Miller's game here in a second, Jeff, but answer me the polls. He proved you wrong. On the 100 point front, yes. I thought 99 two years ago was incredible. And I thought that would be the high water mark. And there was nothing wrong with that. If he was going to be a proven, well rounded, contribute in all areas, 80 point sort of point a game guy for a while, valuable piece. I didn't think he was going to get to and exceed a hundred points after the age of 30. But so on that level, yes, absolutely. Count me among uh, those. Uh, Prove me wrong on several scores. I hated the trade when it went down as some continue to remind me, but a a guy who was coming off 13 goals who had work ethic issues under Alan Vigno in New York, I just, especially at the, you know, where the Canucks were in their competitive or uncompetitive cycle at the time, I, I thought it was a really uh, big reach and grasp from that administration. But he is more than outdone the trade asset, the first round pick sent back Tampa Bay's way. So he's proved me wrong there. Frankly, he's proved me wrong in terms of we have seen him keep that temper in check better. He's become a better two-way hockey player here, particularly under Rick Tockett as well. And you got to give him credit because when he showed up here in Vancouver, he said, hey, this is a wake-up call, third organization. I know some things have to change. And he has realized all the vast potential that he has had as a first-round pick. And he's turned in to a great Vancouver Canucks. So much so, Jeff. I was just looking at this last night. He is... 380 points as a Canuck. 18th on the all-time list. He's four back of Alexander Burroughs. He's going to pass Burr here in short order, perhaps even next week. Uh, then Boudria, Brendan Morrison, and Ryan Kessler yeah. with 393. So he's 13 points away from topping Ryan Kessler's career total here in Vancouver. In fact... If he gets scorching hot between now and the end of the year, he could even pass Don Lever at 407. Now, Pedersen is right now 13th, Lever 
12th. JT is 18th, but you could be looking at him in the top 12, top 13 of all-time Canucks scoring. He's going to pass Pedersen. That's the rate he's going well, here quickly. He's 18 back of that's Pedersen. Another, that's a so. different conversation. But, uh, yeah, look, I mean, the numbers are there. 380 points in 344 games. And I thought his game against Boston was one of, if not his best games in a Vancouver Canuck uniform. And then he backs it up with another uh, remarkable performance against the Pittsburgh Penguins last night. He is dialed in. He's in a groove. He's feeling it. The confidence he showed to make the move that he did on the goal, but the shot itself mm-hmm. basically calls his shot from 40 feet and then just picked his spot and, and fired it home. I mean, that's a guy that is uh, playing at a level that we just haven't seen from JT Miller. Yeah, and let's get into our top story then brought to you by Mr. Lube, JT the boss following as you say jeff that game against boston which many picked out as one of his best as a vancouver canuck he's exceptional again against the pittsburgh penguins it comes in an overtime loss but he has a shorthanded goal a two-point night the crowd is chanting his name it was one of the best canucks individual performances of the season heck it had uh harkin ryan kessler versus nashville in that playoff series and just in terms of both ends of the ice. He is so brimming with confidence. You can actually see it shift to shift. It's a beautiful thing to watch. And uh, we'll play it here in a second, but he's getting singled out by his head coach here, Jeff, uh, amongst a guy, amongst a group that really, I think Rick Tockett needs more out of, just not JT. You're okay. Yeah, and I think that's twofold. I think he is praising JT Miller, but in doing so is absolutely putting it at the feet of some others that aren't playing anywhere close to the level that JT Miller is. I will say this though, still far more impressed with his performance against Boston the other day, because he willed that team from two down to victory, despite his efforts and his best intentions last night, that game slipped away and there's no other way to describe it. A two, nothing lead, a three, two lead power plays to start both the second and third periods that could have extended their leads and perhaps put them out of reach. And so, yeah, Miller was good, but not good enough to deliver a victory. And it's not just him, obviously, but I think on Saturday, part of that JT Miller lore was he put the team on his back Mm -hmm. and got them uh, the two points against the Bruins last night. They had to settle for a single. That's our top story brought to you by Mr. Lube, 100% Canadian, started by a father and son duo in Edmonton, pioneers of the no appointment oil change and warranty approved oil changes now providing tile service and sales no appointment needed 16 locations in the lower mainland for one near you go to mrlube.com okay well then let's hear from rick talkett and the clip we just referenced um about not closing this hockey game out and listen to the end because there's a uh there's a comment about jt miller's game at the end well i just thought so there's some sloppy stuff you know, um, detailed stuff. There was, you know, some guys looked tired out there, to be honest with you. But it was, uh, you know, even when we're up three to two on that, you know, we give them that goal, bad coverage. You know, um, yeah, I, I didn't think a lot of guys, there's a lot of average guys out there. You know, Millsy drove to play again today. I thought Millsy was great, you know, very, very good today. So good that the Rogers Arena crowd inspired by crazy P were chanting his name 
And I want to get to this. Cody Severson, our colleague at Canucks Army, looking forward to the post-game scrum where someone asked JT Miller what he thought of the chance in the third period, and he responds verbatim. I didn't hear it. Just focused on my game, trying to make smart plays. Guys played well. We got the win. They didn't get the win. They didn't get the win. But his answer was very much playing them. Oh, what do you mean? Far on Lalji on the question? <laughs> yeah. Oh, what do you mean? Crowd? What? Huh? Oh, I didn't hear it. Well, let's play the clip here, courtesy of Sportsnet. Okay. Your game and performance tonight was uh, obviously recognized by the crowd. Nice to be appreciated by Recognized by the crowd? I like the chance of your game. You had a goal for the game. I didn't even hear him going with it. Not the greatest audio there, but yes, you catch his drift. Um, let's hear from JT because, as mentioned, he was most interested in talking about the team and not himself. And uh, he says this is the next step, closing games like that out. We did not dominate the second period, I can tell you that. Maybe the last two, three, maybe three, four minutes, but um, that's the maturity level. we got. That's the next level we're, we're trying to get to as a group is uh, when we're up 2 nothing at home. You know, that should be lockdown point. You know, we don't need three, four, five, and six goals at that point. And we let them back into the game and inevitably, inevitably won the game. So. Concur, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, we've seen this team this year lock down some low-scoring games. And I kind of thought that when they got the 2 nothing lead, they were terrific in the first period. It felt like an extension of the Boston game. They picked up where they left off. You had a Penguins team that played Sunday afternoon at home, flew that night, arrived here like late, late, late on their body clocks. They did have a practice on Monday, but still, uh, this is a Pittsburgh team without Jake Gensel, without Brian Ross, two of their top five players, and they were there for the taking. And it just kind of felt like after the opening period, it slipped through the Canucks' grasp. And so I do agree with JT Miller. That's where I come back to the fact that starting the second and third periods on the power play, uh, yeah, I know they got one, but there were circumstances in the game where, man, a power play goal really probably could have put the Penguins away. It didn't happen. And that's a big advantage, too. You get the fresh ice to start the period uh, when you have the power play to start, plus the chance to rest your best players over the course of the intermission. And so the second period was kind of strange. Like, Teddy Bluger, what are you doing with a 2-0 lead? Just a dreadful giveaway that invites the Penguins, who really had nothing going, back into the hockey game. Now it's a 2-1 game. Then the penalties, and that's becoming a real story around this hockey club since the All-Star break. Five on three, where we heard that before. But then JT scores. He answers the five on three goal with a shorthanded goal. 29 seconds later, you kind of thought, like, that's going to be the turning point in this hockey game. That was the willing them to victory like Boston yeah. on Saturday night. That and was the, the moment. third period, really, I thought, backed off, spent most of the period defending, didn't generate much at all. And then got into some trouble in their own zone. Thatcher Demko lost his stick. Noah Juleson blocks his shot and was basically out of the play. And Lars Eller able to come right down Main Street, tie the game. And then overtime was a carnival. Like, not a well-played overtime by the Vancouver Canucks. They had the one chance. Besser got the puck to the net. But Demko was forced to make a bunch of saves. Eventually, the Penguins uh, convert. Garland falls. There's open ice. And... Uh, Eric Carlson scores his eighth of the year. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, for them to get the win against Boston, like this is one win in six, Matt. They mm-hmm. like that. That's a step back. It's one win in six. It's no question a step back. But we got over the four game losing streak. It's three out of the last four points. If you want to cut it up that way, uh, a lot I want to follow up on with you there. 
Uh, let's start with penalties. And the Vancouver Canucks give Pittsburgh, what was it, five, five. power play yep. opportunities. They score on one. Penalties had been a thing uh, during the four-game losing streak. I'm of the mind that Tyler Myers, after the Winnipeg game, saying it felt like we were playing both teams, has stuck in the craw of these guys in stripes. I know there's some undisciplined penalties out there that you have to call. Completely understand. There also seems like there have been some really soft calls on the Canucks since that game and since that comment. The Besser penalty last night, for example. Look, the game in Minnesota was the one right after the Winnipeg game, and that's where they ran into real penalty problems. Mm -hmm. There may have been some payback then, perhaps, from the officials uh, or a week and a bit out from But every now. crew, Jeff, needs I, to exact its no, pound I of get flesh. That. And they've got their group text, and I'm sure oh, it all gets I'm around sure there. I'm sure they do. But Elias Pettersson takes a penalty early in the third period. Didn't love that one. You know, Zadorov. I mean, that's a trip. He basically slew foots the guy behind the net. One penalty in isolation, fine. Three seconds into the penalty kill, Myers gets his stick up. That's a high stick. Now mm -hmm. you're down two men. Like I said, most of them are legitimate, but there have also been some soft calls on the Canucks, and I do wonder if it stems back to the Winnipeg game and the fuss the Canucks made in the postgame, particularly Myers saying it felt like we played both teams because that's sort of one of those lines you don't cross. I guess what I'm when surprised you infer at, that the referees were on uh, a certain club I'm side. Surprised at just the, like the gap now uh, between the Canucks and the next closest team in terms of number of penalties taken, number of times shorthanded. So since the All Star break, twelve games for the Canucks. Not every other team has played twelve. Canucks lead the NHL in minor penalties taken at fifty-one. Calgary's next at forty-three. So that's a very from one big to gap. two. Yeah. And the number of times shorthanded, Canucks at 45, Tampa at 39. Again, so another gap. A sizable gap. On Bluger. Hmm. Are we beginning to think that Teddy Bluger, Connor Garland, and Dakota Joshua just need each other? <laughs> and when they're split up, they are just not as effective that they have unique chemistry as a trio. Or at least Pius Suter or Teddy Bluger have unique chemistry centering Joshua and Garland, because I can understand what he was trying to do with this line blender and shuffling things up. But I do wonder whether now you have got multiple lines struggling and particularly the one that was the most bedrock, that third line, even without um, with Bluger or earlier in the season when Suter was there. So the fourth line last night, there was some really promising and encouraging signs. The shot share, 18 to 2 in the Canucks' favor. Like they spent all night in the offensive zone, except for the one shift there early in the second. And that's just a dreadful giveaway from a guy that generally doesn't turn the puck over, is pretty safe when he's got the puck on his stick. Now, offense has completely vanished from Teddy Bluger's game in a fourth line role, not as big a deal. But when he's out there with Phil DiGiuseppe on one side and Sam Lafferty, and they created the one chance in the second period where Lafferty had the shot from the slot that got between the pads of Tristan Jari, and somehow he was able to seal it off. I thought that one was going to sneak through. It didn't. But just looking back through my notes now, like Phil DiGiuseppe was so good coming out of training camp, earned that spot higher in the lineup. But he looks lost right now. And I this is where, again, I, I just... My gut tells me that they're not going to go to the playoffs with the fourth line as constructed. Now, when Dakota Joshua gets back, we'll see where the dominoes all fall here. Phil Giuseppe, 
has not scored against an NHL goaltender since a 5-0 win against St. Louis on October 27th. He has an empty net goal since then. Yeah. He's not there to score a ton. I get that. But, you know, he's not the most physical guy. He doesn't put people through the boards and into row five. He wins his share of board battles. Now, again, territorially That's last it, night. First month of the season, he won every board battle. Yeah. He basically needs to... He basically needs to win a lion's share of board battles to be an effective player. Sorry. No, I just, like, he's not an intimidating presence out there. I don't think teams fear when Phil DiGiuseppe here comes PDG. They're not game planning for him, certainly. And I do think Sam Lafferty's game has fallen off, too, where there are long stretches. You know, his speed is noticeable, but the Leafs picked him up for a playoff run last year, and that didn't go so well either. And so, again, as we tick tock towards the trade deadline i do wonder if that's part of the wish list here of the vancouver canucks is to change the dna of that fourth line because nils amon's the extra forward well there's not a lot uh, in his game these days either and so uh, i'm kind of curious to see where things go there but the real problem last night as we talk about the bottom six it was that third line elias lindholm connor garland yeah. and Arshdeep baines Matt, the shot attempts at even strength were 14 to 3 in the Penguins' favor. Shots on goal, 9 nothing. Yes. And they weren't matched up against Sidney Crosby. Elias Lindholm's most frequent competitors on the other side last night, Evgeny Malkin, Lars Eller, and Yessi Pugliarvi. So it wasn't like they were matched, hard matched against Sid. Um, we talked about Lindholm yesterday. I think we're going to be talking about him a lot here. Do you? I do. Five, five, and one since the trade. You foresee more trouble here? Oh, do you think, do you think he's going to integrate? Do you think he's going to find the chemist? I don't know. Yeah. And I think they're really searching and struggling. And it didn't work with Patterson, so they've given him a line of his own. And that line so, with Garland on it has spent so much time in the offensive zone this season, but kind of oil and water like there there just wasn't a mesh with those two guys last night for everybody who said don't make a big trade like that and screw up chemistry we got a good thing going on are they vindicated and validated here it's 12 games and it's about getting this guy up and running to be a a force and a difference maker come playoff time you make your move early so that there is additional lead up time here i don't think he screwed up the canucks chemistry like i'm not putting that at his feet he just hasn't found a fit. They haven't been able to find a fit with him. I ex- I expected more. I did. This okay. is a guy that's. You know, I mean, he's got twenty one left, so a yeah. lot can change in that time. But he can't have many nights like last night so, where he just gets absolutely crushed. You want to see him on. You want to see him playing with Patterson though, and not being well, a center. I on made his my own. point yesterday yeah. that I just think it was a lot to give up if ultimately if he's, he's a third line center on Baines. And look, he got a late shift in a close game. He spent some time in Elias Patterson's old power play spot. It has been an extraordinary rise up the lineup with Rick Tockett throwing all sorts of accolades at him that you just don't typically hear an head coach, a head coach in the NHL, dropping out of the feet of a young player on such a small sample size. Um, I thought that might have been the worst of his games in the NHL last night yeah i think it's been a steady sort of and i like some of the things that he's doing out there but at some point there's got to be a bottom line or at some point at the very least 
you can't be, as you say, caved in on the shot and chance attempts yeah. as that line was last night. And certainly I look to the veterans on that line more than the rookie playing his fourth game in the NHL. But again, we point out that it wasn't a hard match against the Penguins top line. And Evgeny Malkin looks like the end is very near for him. Uh, it just looks laborious for him to, to get around the ice. Um, yeah. I mean, that first game in Colorado, he was noticeable, uh, certainly from the hash marks down the, board battles that he won, setting up Teddy Bluger a couple of times against the Avs. We really haven't seen a lot of that. And so I would agree with you that uh, in terms of his effectiveness, I think uh, it has sort of been in decline since the game, first game. And Rick Tockett said as much after the first one, he said like, you know, now he's got a baseline. Can he stay at a level? Oh, the first game you play on our training, you're not skating, you're levitating yeah. out there. So like, right? I'm it, not burying this guy at no, all. I love nobody the story, is doing that. And I think that there's some utility there, but they're still trying to figure a path forward with Elias Lindholm. Is Baines the right guy for that line? We still don't know when Dakota Joshua is getting back. Uh, hopefully soon, because they miss him. There's no doubt about that. But you're right. I mean, you can't spin your wheels at the NHL level forever. It just that's it's the best league in the world. And so there does have to be some tangible takeaways here at some point. And I, and I do wonder with all the spots and line mates they've tried him with already, whether some of this falls on the coaching staff as well, and maybe just put him in a spot and let him learn the two guys that he's going to play with and get a better book. Cause he's figuring out everything. He's learning everything about the NHL right now. Speaking of young players whose development is not always linear, right? Nils Hoaglander. His 200th National Hockey League game, I saw you tweet, he's the seventh player from his draft class to do that, and that's a second-round pick. That's only guy outside the top 10 of that draft class, too. Well, and that's the way it typically goes. Like, you get top 10 picks who play early. You don't get a lot of second-round picks who play early. That was the gift of Nils Hoaglander a few years ago. Uh, He, before obviously taking a step back and, and finishing last year in the minors, he got some power play time, despite not being on that unit at morning skate. He scored a goal, which is great. He's also culpable on the 3-3 goal alongside several other teammates. Where are you on Hoaglander right now in his best fit? Love the shift that led to his goal. He had a great chance, didn't Indeed. score. I thought he was their best player in the first stuck period. with it. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the goal, he gets inside position on Sidney Crosby. And so put himself in a spot where second time around uh, was able to cash in 18 goals, all of them at even strength. Uh, yeah. I don't know what was going on with the power play at morning skate and Tyler Myers. And we all kind of thought there's no way Tyler Myers is going to be out there on the power play. And sure enough, uh, he was replaced by Nils Hoaglander. So some power play time uh, there. The Canucks had one, two first period power plays. They scored on their second with uh, the Besser goal, but there are two ends of the ice, and we know that that's been the Achilles heel for Nils Hoaglander. And we talked about the fact that there was a sequence there. Demko loses his stick. Juleson is in some distress. And Hoaglander gets caught puck watching. Rick Tockett said after the game he, he wanted to force him to the one side of the ice. Uh, instead, Eller was able to go where he wanted to go and then use the screen in front of Demko. And the fact that the goalie didn't have a stick scores to tie it. So that was Hoaglander. That was Patterson. Uh, that was Mikheyev. They were out there as the forward line. And if they're, you know, I mean, they, yes, they opened the scoring. So you can't sit here and say they didn't contribute. 
but in a 3-2 lead in the third period, you know, that's where Rick Tockett wants to be able to trust young players like Hoaglander that they're going to make the right reads. Always talks about the guts of the ice, the guts of the ice, Matt. Uh, they didn't take the guts of the ice away, and the Penguins made them pay. Uh, speaking of the power play, because I know you feel like this didn't necessarily get the treatment it deserved and the coverage it deserved, but when Rick Tockett said a couple of days back with regards to the blending of the power play units, the changes that we saw and, and saw last night, sometimes, quote, you need a breather from each other. He said, went on to say they liked the look of these blended power play units from the morning skate, but sometimes you need a breather mm-hmm. from each other. That's an interesting comment. It is. And then look who was split. Right. Patterson and Miller. Yeah. Um, you know, people love to dump all over us for trying to stir things up. The coach didn't name names, but the proof is there in the pudding. Look who needed a breather from each other. This is the head coach yeah. at a podium what? just yes. saying that. How specific is Elias with the type of players he wants to play with? Because oh, I, I think I've remarkably heard, particular. Yeah, I I think so as well. Um, Boudreau made some coy comments last year about playing him with, you know, guys who he's friends with or who he enjoys their company. So the hangs point, out with. I wonder when we all remark Tyler Myers, what's he doing out there on the power play? I wonder if Elias Pettersson said, what's he doing out there? on the power play. His buddy right. is Hoaglander. His buddy has 18 goals now. Uh, more of a potential goal scorer on the power play than Tyler Myers, certainly. Mm-hmm. But I just thought that was a really curious comment from a coach of a first-place overall team talking about sometimes guys need, a, need breather a breather from, each, from other. each other. Look, we know Pedersen Miller aren't the best of buddies, not exactly uh, two personalities that mesh don't have to be. There are plenty of examples of guys who didn't necessarily get along or weren't best buddies off the ice coming together and creating beautiful hockey uh, uh, together or in in conjunction. So the bigger question to me is, can Miller and Patterson coexist long-term with the hockey club? Because the other thing that's at play here is, you think Miller is one of the guys who went to pocket and said hey our steep i'll take that's him my on my line yeah, yeah. That, that's my understanding that you know liked uh, the cut of his jib thought okay let's see what this kid has and and i'm happy to have him on my line coach if that's playing out and you've got elias being particular about who he plays with and look uh it, it's, it's not like he's dictating or anything like that obviously Ilya mckayev wouldn't have spent as much time as Ilya mckayev has spent on his wing but if you were to tell me that not having winger fits for Elias Pettersson is one of the reasons why this continues to drag on and stalemate impasse of negotiations and let's see after the season, I wouldn't be at all. I wouldn't be at all surprised. Okay, moving on. Pierre Lebrun of TSN reporting that the Dallas Stars are the front runners for Chris Tanev, the ex-Canucks defenseman currently with Calgary. He reports that the reason why a trade isn't done with Dallas is because Dallas has told Calgary we are not trading a first-round pick. 
Although the way they draft second and third and fourth round picks, maybe Stankoven with uh, another performance last. So he lists LeBron does the Canucks, Leafs, and Oilers. So three Canadian suitors there and Dallas and Dallas and the stars and Jim Nill holding out, not willing to part with that first round pick, which begs the question for me, Jeff, because we've been hearing this for a couple weeks now. A lot of teams offering, you know, a collection of picks to Calgary for Chris Tanev. Does a second round pick and a prospect get it done? Well, obviously it doesn't get it done right now. Might it get it done a little closer to next Friday in the NHL trade deadline? The 2025 first overall or for first round pick of the Vancouver Canucks. Would you move that for Tanev if that's what gets the deal done right now? Uh, as much respect as I have for Chris Tanev as a person and a player, and I see a fit here, but I, I have trouble. There's just in the pit of my stomach a first rounder at this stage of his career and knowing the way that he plays, and that's what you love about him. But with every shot block comes the chance that your investment in this player, uh, you may not have him around. Uh, for the playoffs. Now you can't go into any trade thinking that way. Uh, the other thing too is like, I'd have to go back through. Can you recall where two teams and two teams in the same division have hooked up on three significant trades in the same season? Mm, no, I can't. Zadorov deal. That's yep. the prelude Lindholm. And now we'll see what happens here uh, with Chris Tanev, but Look, I think the Flames are playing this one, right? It's a bit of a slow play. We're in the game of chicken now, and there are 10 days to go. I think somebody will give the Flames what they're looking for. I think some team will pony up a first-rounder. you almost get to the question, who's more puck committed? Is it Edmonton needing to realize the talent of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl with at least a finals appearance, if not a cup victory? Is it Toronto who you look around and – are getting to the end of their window, right? With the age of some of their players, Sean Tavares, Morgan Riley, a lot of miles on that body. Uh, the Canucks are probably fourth on the list, Jeff, in terms of pot committed teams, even after making the Lindholm deal, which was a significant all in lowercase a lowercase I move. Dallas has been a team that has perennially, perennially been in the playoffs. Although they've got enough youth on that team, maybe they've got a longer runway here of competitiveness than some of those other teams. But yeah, I agree with you. If I had to put a dollar down now on whether Chris Tanif will be a Canuck or on one of these other teams by the deadline, I would I would put it down on one of these other teams. Chris Tanif would be young on Dallas. They've got Pavelski. They've got Ryan Suter. They've got Jamie Benn. Uh, he'd be a fresh, like a spring chicken on that Dallas yes. uh, hockey club. I, I will say, except the, for the core is all young. Uh, no, I know guys. The, but yeah, I hear Oilers what you're saying. Are, the Oilers are interesting because they went out and they got Matisse at home. Great trade, great player. And that pairing with Bouchard, like that's a top notch pairing by any measure in the national hockey league. I'm just not a fan of Darnell Nurse and Cody Cece. And I think they were exposed last year. And I don't know that the Oilers want to go back down that road again so I could see a fit with Chris Tanev coming in and playing the right side there. But I say that, and then I watch the Vancouver Canucks, and you've got Hughes and Heronic, and the Canucks seem intent on sticking with that pair. You know, 
Ian Cole and Tyler Myers right now as your second pairing. And I know Carson Susie comes back, but remember the jury was still out when they signed Carson Susie. We all said great third pairing guy. Right. Is there more there? Now we're talking about them needing Cody Cece basically to be their third best defenseman. That's a big jump mm-hmm. for a guy that hasn't played a lot this year. Uh, the fourth period reporting, I think many and Cole, fourth period reporting significant LA Kings interest in wingers. You mentioned it yesterday, Adrian Kempe hurt. Sounds like it's going to be a lengthy absence for Kempe. Also means the Kings are going to get handed some cap space here with LTIR. Uh, LA already missing Victor Arvidsson, Carl Grundstrom, who are both on LTIR. So with a Kings team that is sitting on a wild card, the pressure is mounting there on Rob Blake, who has already fired a head coach to add some reinforcements to a lineup that could use it. Tyler Toffoli, the ex-Vancouver Canuck. There is extension talks in New Jersey, according to TSN's insider trading. Uh, although New Jersey's a very interesting test case right now. Are they a playoff team? Are they not a playoff team? Are they going to try to be a playoff team? Are they just going to pack it in for this year? They've been connected to UC Soros, the goaltender in Nashville. They've been connected to Jacob Markstrom, the ex-Canuck, the goaltender in Calgary. So we'll see if Toffoli extends or if he's going to be a deadline addition yet again. We all remember him here in Vancouver, and he was pretty darn good for the Canucks after they brought him over, which brings me, Jeff, to an emerging story, and that is the gaps in the wild card race, or an emerge story at this point. Calgary, Seattle, Minnesota, St. Louis. Are they free to be sellers now? They're all between five and seven points back of the last wild card. There are now two distinctive gaps of five points in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference wildcard races. So are we going to see this buyer's market that some of us thought was in the offing? Devils, five back of Tampa in the East. Two games in hand, but five back of Tampa in the East who's sitting on the last playoff spot. Nashville with their six-game winning streak. Five up on Calgary, who's won four in a row, but they're still five back, only with a game in hand. So Calgary, St. Louis, Minnesota, Seattle, and then in the East, Jersey, Washington, Pittsburgh, despite the win last night, and the Islanders. Are we going to see the floodgates open with these teams on the outside looking in and looking to get something for their UFA rentals? Well, it's funny the way the schedule works because Pittsburgh making its way through the West. They won three in a row after their win over the Canucks. They're going to face Calgary here. Both of those teams can't win, and it sort of feels like both are waiting for a tipping point and a sign that their season is effectively over. But you're right. The Calgary Flames won four in a row all of a sudden. And so at the very least, they're hanging around by the same measure. And we'll get to our best bets here coming up. But Minnesota plays Nashville tomorrow. That feels like the last stand for the Minnesota Wild. If they lose that one, Mm -hmm. then they are effectively flushing on their season. So, yeah, like you know, I think I thought that night was at hand for Pittsburgh, uh, two nothing, and Ferraro said on the TV side that the Penguins look like they're going to have trouble yeah. keeping up tonight. And I thought, boy, if Pittsburgh loses this game, forget about it. Now it's time to sell. Wouldn't be surprised to see against the trade. Wouldn't be surprised to see other parts move from Pittsburgh. Uh, or, but 
The wind maybe extends their life. Well, we're just over a week out from the trade deadline. It kind of feels like a lot of teams will circle the wagons this weekend, bring their staff in, get the war rooms established, all those types of things. And there's usually a little bit of a calm before the storm. But I think we're going to see some teams jump. I think we'll see some teams punt. Absolutely. And we'll see other teams obviously jump ahead. Like, it's not going to go down to well, the Cal- wire. There's- Calgary has to do something with Hannafin. He's not re-signing there. He's too good a player not to trade. It's a difficult trade to make because a lot of teams are looking at it going, he's not going to resign here. He wants to resign with Tampa, or we don't have the cap space to even consider re-signing him. He- he's, a, in some cases, a difficult cap fit right now for certain teams. So it's not an easy trade to make for Craig Conroy, but I think that's a domino that is absolutely going to drop. Sure. And if that one does, and we expect that it will, then the Tanev one has to as well, right? Like they're sort of all in, I think at that point, whenever they decide to to start to make their moves. The question is, does a Markstrom domino also drop? Like, is this the total remaking of the Calgary flames over the next week? Since we've seen a goalie of that stature. Yeah. move at the deadline well and you see backups and right, spare parts right but a and guy you occasionally with, see an off-season trade of a guy a, with term mm-hmm. and a guy who is having a fine season in calgary they just don't score a lot to for him that's been part of the problem maybe ryan miller you may have to go back to ryan miller going to st louis in terms of the last time a goalie of, of that caliber yeah, was moved perhaps moved at the deadline but calgary who's already as you know jeff made the two trades with vancouver to add the couple of draft picks with uh, by parting with Zadorov and then Kuzmenko, Rostevich, the uh, first-round pick, certainly, and the other uh, nickels and dimes on that trade. And that could be just the start. Like, the big refashing of the Calgary Flames could be right before our eyes over the next nine days before NHL trade deadline. All right. Let's get to our menu today. It is brought to you by Greta. Boy, did we have a fantastic time last Thursday at Greta Bar. Awesome place to watch the game. Terrific spirit, terrific energy. It's a quick walk to the Rinker Stadium. Stadium gets going this weekend with soccer. It's a go-to spot for food and drink, fun before the game, after the game. Make it a game night at Greta, 50 West Cordova, or at GretaBar.com. We'll talk to Frank Corrado here. Uh, we'll talk to him about JT Miller. He's a former defense partner of Ian Cole. We're going to talk to him about that. The fit of Elias Lindholm positionally. Frank's going to put his X's and O's cap on for us there. Quinn Hughes has struggled Yep, a little yep. bit here yep. of late. We get into that. Both our guests today, Frank Corrado and Harmon Dial, we're asking them for a trade deadline wish list guy, a guy that you know is attainable given the parameters, given where the Canucks are cap-wise and everything that they would like to see added before next week we'll do some hashtags the best and worst of twitter including a canucks prospect continuing to tear up a european league harm dial will stop by jt miller trade deadline wish lindholm rshd baines great answer from harm with regards to some of the penalties that the vancouver canucks are taking here and what what accounts for that and uh really sad note later in the show on the passing of a recent bc lion at far too young nh okay sports interaction best bets j pat we went golf yesterday Mm -hmm. where are you going today a heavyweight showdown in the central division of the national hockey league doesn't get a whole lot better than this on the final day 
of February. This game coming up on Thursday. Winnipeg at Dallas. They are tied on 79 points, two ahead of the Colorado Avalanche. The Jets are the underdog on the road here. Oh. But they've won four in a row, seven and three in their last 10. I see some value there with the Winnipeg Jets. So I'm taking the Jets. They're paying out at 215. 215, not bad. I thought you were going to tell me they were an underdog at home and Mark Chipman was going to bellyache about that as well. <laughs> call a news conference. Call the commissioner into town. What's the matter? No one's giving us any respect. Uh, I'm going back to a futures with the Vancouver Canucks. One win in six. But was that sort of their slump this year? Three out of four uh, the last four points. If they can continue to manage losses and win their fair share, they're going to be battling for first overall at the end of the year. They're still just the fifth choice to win the president's trophy. They're behind Florida, the Rangers, Winnipeg, and Boston. You get them at seven to one. There's a little bit of value there. So Canucks on the president's trophy, my sports interaction, best bet sports interaction, your homegrown sports book and casino featuring custom props and parlays. You're not going to find anywhere else. Plus a best in class casino with thousands of games, live dealers, those of you on YouTube, you can scan the code right now. Get a 200% welcome bonus from Securus and Price. Sports Interaction, bet local, must be 19 years of age. Please play responsibly. Frank Corrado is next. With TSN hockey analyst and former Vancouver Canuck Frank Corrado. Frankie, did you ever have to submit to the relentless questioning of J Pat in a post game? Uh, I think J Pat always took it easy on me. I, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think there was ever anything that I did that was like you expected more out of me. I think you expected the bare minimum, and sometimes <laughs> you may have it. And, and you delivered on and off the ice, so yeah, that's I think why we loved you. Yeah. John, John Shorthouse had a great quote one time where he's like, you are going to give us your one goal a year, and it's okay, and you're good for your one goal. <laughs> Thanks, Shorty. And that's when Shorty gets to say, it's been 57 games since Corrado scored back in yes. October against it. Um, yeah, exactly. Were you ever on the do something list? I'm not sure the do something list existed. Yeah. Back in Frank. You may predate the do Vancouver, something so. list. Uh, anyways, connect. We're doing something last night against the penguins. Pretty good game. Uh, not sure how much you caught of it, Frank, but uh, JT Miller right now. Wow. Unbelievable hockey. He's playing. Yeah. And the thing is, is his confidence is visible. You can see it on the ice. He's trying things and getting to places that an unconfident guy lacking confidence wouldn't get to. Uh, what have been your observations about JT against Boston right, and was, Pittsburgh this week? I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And just like, it's very telling when Rick Tockett has a post-game kind of presser and he talks about the team and it might not be the most positive towards the team, but he really makes a point to single out JT Miller for all the right reasons. I think that speaks volumes to where Miller's game is at, where Tockett thinks it's at. Um, and I just think 
like it's just been this build all season long where he came into the season with this little bit of a, I want to prove it to myself. I want to prove it to everyone else that um, I, I can play against top lines. I, I'm not the guy that they showed on Saturday night last year, you know, doing the straight leg back check kind of stuff. And um, like, it, it just seems like he's taken everything personal in the right way though. You can take things personal and suck out about it. Um, and there's players in the league, one in California that, that does that a little too much um, these days wearing number 80. But I, I just think like for JT Miller, he's he's first on the puck. And if he's not first on the puck, he's winning a battle. And he's in a lot of the right spots on the ice. Um, it's It's so important to like not to just get to the spots, but get to the spots on time, like move your feet away from the puck, which I think he's doing a much better job of. And, and it's so important. And the more you move off the puck, the more you're going to have the puck. And like the confidence is, is a real thing. Like last night on that breakaway, you could tell like it's head up and that's a shot with some conviction takes a second before he wants to shoot that. That wasn't just, I got to get this shot off. That was, you know, precise, accurate, like, like a sniper in, in, in the army. Like that's, that's what it felt like. And um, his game's been, it's been good all year long, but it's been really good lately. And, and, and what I love about it as well, Frankie, is when they need him most, like they blow a two goal lead, it is two, two Pittsburgh. And here's JT answering shortly thereafter, reestablishing the lead. Tell us what it's like on the bench when you have that guy who's basically saying, no, not on my watch. Like it, it's funny because so I, I played a little bit with Pittsburgh and of course they're the team that's in there last night. And I can recall my very first game with them. We're playing in Buffalo and we're getting caved in in the first period to the point where like Mike Sullivan's coming down the bench and he's looking at guys and he's like, are we effing kidding ourselves here? Like what, what, what are we doing? Right. And we get a power play late in that first period. Sure enough, Crosby goes end to end and does the one handed goal. Like you've seen it a million times on the highlight reels. It's the one-handed backhand goal. And I remember the bench just being like, oh, what a relief. And I looked at my D partner, it was Ian Cole that game. And he looks at me, he goes, that's just Sid, man. That's what he does. And there was like a belief in the group there that it's like, all right, there, there's a guy on your team that maybe when things aren't going well, you know, he's going to bring it and he can find a moment like that. And for Miller to have that moment last night, it's obviously, you know, it's great. It's important. But um, now Vancouver's in the point where you look at a, a, a small situation like that and you think, what does that mean come playoff time? Like, does that mean they're going to be playing against Vegas or they're going to be playing against Edmonton? And it's going to be, you know, McDavid's hemming you in your own zone or Vegas is rolling all four lines. Can there be that guy that can find something for you like that? And And I think – it's a testament to where the Canucks are, where they've put themselves this year, that we can start having those conversations about the team and not just, hey, JT Miller's played really well. Do you think we can get a team around him next year that can help out? No. Now it's like, okay, can we can can that come in handy come playoff time? Because that's right around the corner and everything you're doing right now um, from an indiv individual point of view, from a team point of view, is to get ready for that moment. And um, maybe that's that's something that he can provide come playoff time. I'm glad you brought up Talkit and the name checking of Miller because it you know as a one off maybe, but this is two or three times in the last little while. They have one win in their last six games here. This isn't by accident, and so I read it the same way you did that. While he's not wrong in you know praising JT Miller, but it feels like an appeal to a handful of others, and I think we know where the list starts. 
Are you surprised at all that as JT has dug in here and brought his game to another level, that it hasn't sort of inspired some of his teammates along the way? I mean, JT can't do it all by himself. It's pretty clear with the fact they have one win in their last six hockey games. I know. I know. It's interesting. Like, you can be inspired as much as you want. Sometimes you just don't have it. And and that's probably the case for, for a few guys right now. And it's it's hard not to think about like the, the the absence of Dakota Joshua right now in the lineup and what that third line was doing for the team. Like I felt like that line was facilitating so much for the group and like it just and we talked about this previously where that line would go on the ice and right away they're in the offensive zone. They didn't like they didn't spend a lot of time playing in that murky gray area where nothing was happening. And so now you lose that element. And now there's other players that don't get the benefit of that setup line. And I, I think we're seeing that a little bit and it's carried over into other elements. Like, you know, the power play has been a little bit of a mishmash and I know the power play gets one last night with the two balanced units, but that's weird. That's unorthodox. Like it, it is, it's got an odd look to it. Um, and, and I think at five on five, you know, the same can be said for, for a few players right now where it's like, okay, Miller's really going um is there you know is there some guys that need to kind of follow suit yes it probably happens sooner rather than later uh but it is a little bit of a stretch here where you have some individuals giving you really good performances and you have some that aren't aren't quite where they were um earlier in the year and like we just talked about with miller it's okay for now still first place in the division still first place in the nhl you just think about okay are we going to get this team peaking at the right time? Is everyone's gonna everyone's game gonna come around when you need it most? And that's the most important thing is working towards that point. Well, one guy whose game hasn't come around yet is Elias Lindholm. They paid a pretty package to get this guy from Calgary. Frank, you have moved NHL teams, you've picked up your life and moved to other cities. I cut him some slack. I mean, eight of his first 10 were out on the road, uh, the All-Star weekend. Like, there's been a lot going on in his life. I get that. But this guy is a quality National Hockey Leaguer. We know that. Scores two in his debut. He had the other two-goal game. But last night got absolutely caved on his line with Connor Garland and Arshdeep Baines. How long can we give him this out of he's a newcomer, he's adjusting, he's still finding his way and at what point is it just go time and be a little more effective? Well, I think like criticism is always going to be valid. There's no player that's above the criticism um, with, with as far as the team goes, he's here now, like he's, he's playing. So, you know, whether, whether he has a great night the next game or a week from now or two weeks from now, that's not going to matter in the grand scheme of things because of what you acquired him for. Like you acquired him for the playoffs and and that's always going to be the bigger picture, the end goal in mind when, when we think about his game. But with that being said, you didn't, you can't just flip a switch. Like it's, it's dis it's almost disrespectful to the league and the integrity of the, the, the league to think that you can show up come playoff time, haven't played your best hockey and say, yeah, I'm just going to turn it on now. Like I'm really built for this moment. No, it doesn't work that way. Like, you know, the saying confidence is earned. Like you can say you have confidence for sure, but if you don't build, and we've talked about this a lot, if you don't build that little highlight reel in your head 
where you've made the good plays, you've won the face-offs at critical moments, you've scored a few goals, like you've been on the right side of the, the, the puck defensively. If you don't have that, you haven't earned the confidence as much as you tell yourself in your head that you're a confident player. So that's going to be the challenge for him. Um, but he's got time. He's got the skills. He's got the ability. He's just got to do it. Um, and, and it was interesting, like even going back to that Seattle game, like, did we ever get an explanation as to why, like, Lindholm was on the first power play unit, then Besser was on it, then it was just, it was a little bit, like, mixing those two around on the power play. I, I just, it, it, and well, now you got two spread units. Yeah, um, Talk had said earlier in the week that sometimes guys need a breather from each other. I mean, the power play was one for 29. So I yeah. think he was experimenting. Just some Chucking stuff at the wall. Frankie, well, it was but, just weird in game because it was in game and it was like, there's Lindholm. Then there's a face off and there's Besser. <laughs> and I don't know. It's weird. yeah. No, Heronic well, started on the power play that yeah, night. And yeah, then by the fourth power play, well, he was even, even last night, um, there were th- moving yeah. parts on the power play. Hoaglander didn't see any morning skate power play. Right. And he was anyways, uh, Talkett has said he's the center, Lindholm. So, you know, we thought he'd be a great fit when the trade was made, both as a power play guy and as an offensive player who doesn't demand the puck. He's happy to be the guy off the puck. And we thought, okay, with him and Patterson, that could make a really good uh, fit here. Is it a positional thing, Frank? Like, are you concerned about where he fits positionally? Because, you know, Jeff's Jeff's point yesterday was that's a hell of a lot to give up for a third line center if you're yeah. going to stack him at center below Pedersen and Miller. I always thought he was a center. I, I I just I always see him in that regard. And yeah, if you're going to have Miller, Pedersen, Lindholm, you're deep down the middle. But like we've talked about in the past, that third line is really good. So at some point, Joshua's coming back, and I would imagine because I would do this as soon as that is available to you to have that third line fully intact. I want to see that. I want that like yesterday. So he's not going to be your third line center. So he probably has to be, are you going to push Pedersen to the wing? Are you going to push him like Lindholm on the wing? Like that's, that's the question now. And like, well, who yeah. would you prefer, Frank? Who who would you prefer seeing in the middle between Pedersen and Lindholm? I would prefer Pedersen in the middle of the ice. I, I just think he's he's a more natural fit. Like for me, he's um he's more of a distributor. Um I, I think like the way Pedersen can carry the puck up the ice and kind of weave his way through, I want him in the middle of the ice. I don't want him sequestered to the wall. I think like Lindholm is not as dynamic as Pedersen. So I think I would want Pedersen in the middle of the ice, but now you're taking Lindholm out of his, you know, out of his comfort zone, let's say. But the thing is, you're, you're still going to, you're going to play with good players regardless. So you should be able to, you know, to be comfortable in that situation. And as far as face-offs go, you'll probably take face-offs when you're on your strong side. So in that moment, when, when you're off a face-off, you will be the centerman until, you know, until you make a switch. And a lot of the times, like, the first player back into the defensive zone, that guy's playing center. It's not necessarily the natural centerman. So until there's a switch, that's your responsibility to be the low forward. So there are going to be moments in a game where you are assuming the role of a centerman. So it's not so cut and dry that 
winger, you just stay on the wall and you're up and down and it's a straight line game. There is a little bit of nuance. There is a little bit of gray area. He will find himself in that position, but it's not going to be like, it's just not, it, it's not, he's not a third line center. And as, as much as maybe you'd be really deep of a team, if he was, it, it's preventing one of your most effective lines when Joshua comes back from playing together. And I don't think that's conducive for the team. Look, he has 70 points. The Canucks are first in the overall standings. He's the got the inside track for the Norris Trophy. Like, this is not me throwing darts at Quinn Hughes in any way, but as a guy that played that position, like, I don't think his game has been as dynamic since the All-Star break as it was earlier in the season. My question to you is, like, how hard is it in the best league in the world to play 26, 28 minutes a night and keep your game up there all year long? Well, it, it's not even that. It, it is that. Think about how often he has the puck. Like for a player like that who has the puck that much on his stick, who has the puck in the offensive zone as, as much as he does. And it's just, there, there's going to be things that happen when you have the puck that often. It, it's not always going to be smooth. Um, you do, you know, if you're a guy that doesn't have the puck like me, like when I played, all right, all right I'm, I'm out for a skate and I'm a guy and I just don't want to mess up. And if I played my 15 minutes and, and nothing happened, high event, that was a good night for me. It's not the case for him. It's high event. And it's great when it is because he's, he's so good at driving offense from the back end, but that is, that is part of it. Like the, there, there's a mental grind aspect behind knowing for us to be successful, for me to be successful. I'm going to have to make a lot of plays. I'm going to have to have the puck a lot on my stick and everyone's gunning for you. Everyone knows like you're the one, you know, you're, you're shifty and you're spinning off guys and everyone gets a book on you. With that being said, it has still been an incredible season and he's still been like uber, uber talented at so many different elements of the game. And he set the bar so high this season with his play that even if it comes down, you know, a couple notches, you still have to look at it and say, that's pretty damn good. But, you, you know, you kind of know what it can be. And, and I think that's, you know, we're, we're at the point in the season here where between the All-Star break and the trade deadline, people talk about the dog days. This is another, you know, portion of those dog days where, you know, once the trade deadline hits, there's going to be a little rejuvenation here with the group as far as, Maybe we made a move or, you know, we, the GM came in and talked to us and gave us this great speech about how he really believes in our group. And um, that's that's around the corner. But right now there's you know, this is a this is a, a grind portion of the season for everyone. Your uh, old partner, Ian Cole, the aforementioned Ian Cole, he was playing 20, 21 minutes a night for the Canucks earlier in the season. Nikita Zadorov gets acquired. Noah Jolson shows himself to be a little more. Um, dependable and, and those minutes are down now Frank he's in the uh, 17 18 minute range how much should he be playing the rest of the way because he's already been given sort of a, a maintenance game if you will where they move Julson and in. I think if Susie had been healthy there would have been a little bit more of that right somewhere exactly along the line, but, but Susie hasn't been able to stay healthy and so Ian Cole's playing all these minutes how worried would you be at, uh, about that going down the stretch and into the just playoffs turned 35 or yeah. Yeah. yeah what's the sweet spot you think i i always cool. felt that if you were a guy that maybe played a little bit of special teams but you played your regular shift at five on five on the back end you're probably depending on the game and the whistles 
you're somewhere between 16 to 19, let's say. So I think he's, I think he's like in a good wheelhouse as far as his time. Like last night, he was 17.53. Like, I think that's pretty comfortable. You can get through, um, you know, 28 shifts pretty, pretty well as, as a guy like that. And another thing for, for a player like him, who's been around a long time, there's probably not going to be a lot of like wasted effort, wasted skating. You know, if you're a younger guy and you're still, you're trying to figure out your cadence and your pacing and, um, you know, adjusting to more minutes, less minutes, sometimes you, you can waste a little bit of energy. And, and, but I feel like for him, if he's, he's been playing, you know, these kinds of minutes, maybe not as much in Tampa Bay, but when he was in Pittsburgh, like that seemed to be like a regular occurrence for him. That seemed to be a little bit of a sweet spot. It's like, you know how to play that kind of game. You've played it a million times. You know how quickly you need to get to certain spots on the ice. So um, I don't really see any concern with it. If it starts to get into the 20, 21, 22, I would say that's probably a little too much. But under 20, between 16 to, to 19, I, I think that's a good spot for him. Like, um, yeah. he he gives you something. Like, he, he's, no, he's, he does. Dependable. he's dependable. And, and he's... He's somewhat underrated uh, with his puck moving ability. He's not just, you know, he's not just a tree stump back there. And, and I, I think he probably gives you as much off the ice as he gives you on the ice uh, as well from the, what we've been able to observe of Ian Cole. Okay, last question here. Who would you most like to see as a Vancouver Canuck between now and trade deadline? All the guys that are out there and available, Frankie. All the guys that Pick are out there. Pick one that you think is a great fit for the Canucks that you would be excited wow. about that trade. Okay, I'm just taking a look Canuck. at our, our TSN trade bait list. Trade <laughs> Center, March 8th on TSN. Oh, um, look at that. that. What a pro. Really? How's that for a tease? They're, cover- hey. they're covering trade deadline and, this year. And I'll say this. You know, <laughs> Duthie's got to be getting excited here. We're nine days away oh. and really not a lot of big fish outside of Lindholm and Monaghan. Don't jinx it for Duthie. Please no. do not jinx it right. for him. Um, Who's one player? Now, we're just no cap. Uh, Just, you know. Well, within reason. Within uh, reason. Of course. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I just, like. Tyler Toffoli screams clutch goals to me, doesn't he? Like, he was so clutch for Montreal. He's scoring at five-on-five this year. Um, He's got a lot of goals, and a lot of them are are five-on-five goals. Like, isn't that a name, like a scoring winger that you could kind of get behind? And, like, Ilya Mikheyev has struggled to score goals, and he's playing lower in the lineup. And I I know, like, you know, he's got the speed and all that kind of stuff, but – I, I see Tyler Toffoli, and I think of a guy similar to how we just talked about with JT Miller. Shoot with conviction. Like, shoot like you mean it. I think Tyler Toffoli is is a guy like that. Now, I'm not sure New Jersey. Like, I, I would imagine they still think they're in the hunt. But I don't know. I, 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 I see Tyler Toffoli's name, and I think clutch goals. Well, it would be seamless, and mm-hmm. he was very good for the Canucks the first We've, time around. Uh, so. Been down that road once before, and uh, of course, let's not discount Ilya Mikheyev's assist 
last night. He got on the score sheet, Frank. It they was a fine second assist. Yes, it was, it was yes. a fine yes. second assist. I know, I know if I had a fine second assist, <laughs> Jay Pat would tweet about it. <laughs> I'm waiting for a goal. He's got to do more than just a second assist. Yeah. It's been far, far mm. too long since Ilya Mikheyev put a puck in the net. Yeah, exactly. He's going to have to submit to the relentless Jay Pat postgame question. Yeah. Uh, Frankie, great fun here. Thanks for this, buddy. We'll catch up next week. Thanks, guys. Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Ford and Ford Party, the 2023 F-150. You know the iconic F-150. Financing starting from 0% on select trims. It's a hell of a deal. Get the to Applewood Ford Port Hardy. It's all good at Applewood. Hey, just an aside before mm-hmm. we go on here, speaking of F-150s. Yeah. Have you ever noticed here at the Wall Center, in the underground parkade, Yes. the spots are not designed for massive pickup trucks. They really aren't. They, they protrude a fair bit. Exactly. Now, they're entitled to parking spots mm-hmm. like the rest of oh, us. Indeed. But my goodness, do they stick out into the middle. Like, mm-hmm. you've got to be on best behavior no, driving you, down there. No, you honestly do. You have <laughs> got to be alert in this parking garage. There is trouble around every corner, J-Pat. <laughs> in fact, it gets it's gotten to the point with around some corners where it's really just a one-way go. You know, you have to communicate with the other driver, hand signals and whatnot. No, you go ahead. When yeah, you clear the corner, then I'll well, make and, my move. And if it's any of the people in the trucks, they always, oh, boy, I, yeah, I defer they to defer, them. Defer, <laughs> defer, defer, defer. Poll question, is JT Miller proved you wrong? Yes or no? You can vote at Sikharson Price on Twitter. And YouTube, speaking of Twitter, hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter.com. Jeff, I'm going to start with that hockey underscore Robinson. Cam Robinson, (whistles) prospects writer, elite prospects. Don't look now, but Jonathan Lekramaki has seven goals in his last seven games. Have you been tracking this? He's up to 17 goals in 40 SHL games. Tops amongst all U24 skaters. He's 19 years old. Yeah, I saw it flooding my timeline yesterday. Uh, sort of classic with Karamaki goal, car, you know, curling out of the corner as the right shot, uh, finding his space, and then picking the spot and and nailing it. And boy, yeah. you know, you made it as a prospect when somebody a couple a continent away says classic Lekramaki goal. <laughs> but that's where we're at. Twenty eight points in forty games this year. And look, if the Canucks are interested in another big swing trade here, Lekramaki is doing his part to boost value and be as attractive as possible to other NHL teams. I don't think they want to trade him. No. But especially if they don't like that, I I think that report earlier in the week that they don't necessarily want to pay another big price for a rental. If that puts you onto the market for players with term, then I would have to think Lekramaki or Wheelander, one of them is going to have to be included because players with term cost even more usually. 
I've got one from TSN Sports. Did you see Gary and his dog and pony show in Winnipeg? There's so much about this that I don't understand. Like, first of all, how aggressive that Mark Chipman and the Jets were in effectively soft-threatening the market earlier in the season. Then bringing the commissioner in, who, of course, does the, why is everybody in such a tizzy? I come here every year. Right. So the routine. quote from TSN is, this is Gary on the TSN panel locally in Winnipeg. One of the intermissions says, there's nothing to monitor. It's not the problem that it's being made out to be. Right. Nothing to see here. Our league has never been stronger. But I'm in town. You've known I've been yeah. coming for 10 days now. Well, and, and our, the Jets ownership has an actual campaign afoot. Yeah. To sort of shame people into buying tickets. And even with Mark Chipman acknowledging they didn't have to do many sales in the early days because every ticket was spoken for and that they were poor operationally beyond that. Smallest As a in the service outside team. of mullet. Right. And they are having trouble putting people in there for a team that's battling well, for top spot in its division in the conference. Smallest market in the league isn't the wealthiest market. Bad economy. Coming off a pandemic where so many people lost jobs or lost money somehow, some way. Uh, team got a little bit stale, right? Kept bumping its head. Got to the point where you expected playoffs, that the regular season didn't have quite the sa- uh, sizzle that it used to. And then the thing that just galls me, the franchise was bought and relocated for less than $200 million. The price tag on the franchise has gone three, four, five times. That's where your money is, Mark Shipman. And your partner, David Thompson, who's worth like multiple, like $20, 30000000000 billion. He's the richest guy in the league. I just, I can't. You know, I once had a sports marketing person, and, and there are some that still swear by this. Andy Dunn uses the word, uh, uses the sentence all the time with the Canadians. You get the attendance you deserve. Basically... If every seat isn't full, it's on you operationally as a business to fill those seats. It's not on the market. Don't blame the market. I was very surprised to see this continue. Like if it was a one and done, Jeff, I could maybe understand it. But it's an ongoing continuation, you know, and and with the fear of loss of never again, right? Like that phrase is being thrown around by them. Yeah, I, I just I can't get over Gary, though, making the effort to get to Winnipeg and then just going full-on finger-wag for anybody yeah. that dares question. Well, and, and I hope somebody at the press conference yesterday goes, well, if it's not a big deal, how come your owner's making it out to be a big deal? It's just so incongruous. At Rugby Canada, we talked about the sevens here and the Canadian women winning bronze here and the sevens, of course, at Paris. Fifteens are coming here. Canada's men's rugby team returns to Ottawa's TD Place and Vancouver's BC Place this summer. Pacific Nations Cup, August 25th, Canada versus Japan. The USA, Fiji, and Samoa are also involved in the tournament. That will be the only game here in Vancouver, and the rest of the games will be played uh, in those other countries. So keep your costumes handy. Right. Your fancy dress <laughs> is welcome at exactly, the back of storage. Exactly. No. 
Don't want to wrinkle them. No. You may need to press them by August 25th. Fancy dresses allowed for the 15s as well. And I, I saw Patrick Johnson. No, we'll talk to Patrick tomorrow. He's a big rugby guy. These are the sorts of sides we used to play in 15s. These sorts of games and tests have fallen off the schedule for Canada. So good to see that they're beefing back up later this year. Uh, at Jason Beck 82, this is the curator of the BC Sports ah. Hall of Fame, often tweets out on this day in BC Sports history, and we hinted at it uh, earlier in the week. But it is the anniversary, 14 years ago, where was Sid's sense of occasion last night? How come he didn't score the overtime winner? I was so prepared for that. Do you remember? Because a lot of the gold medal game is a blur, and time mm-hmm. can fade some details of memories as well. Do you remember the time of overtime that Sydney scored the golden goal? I don't think it was that deep into the overtime period. Seven minutes and 40 seconds. So, right. yeah, didn't even get to I was going to guess minute nine minutes. 7.40, Jason tweeted out, at 7.40 of overtime, Team Canada, Sydney Crosby slides a give-and-go pass from Jerome McGinley past USA goaltender Ryan Miller to give Canada victory in the gold medal game at the men's Olympic ice hockey tournament at Canada Hockey yeah. Place. So, and, yeah. and the irony being, and I wrote about this at the time, is that the game was moving so fast. The puck was moving so fast. I mean, to this day, it's still the best hockey game I've ever seen. That, And I remember talking to Taves and Kane and Kessler and, and, and others about this, that guys didn't even have time to call for the puck or stick tap because the guy with the puck was so good and had already recognized he's open, the puck was on route. So hearing Iggy echo <laughs> through what was a really nervous sitting on pins and needles, Rogers Arena, Canada Hockey Place. Um, yeah, something I'll never forget. Yeah, I didn't get to go to the gold medal for the man. I was there for the women's game, which was incredible yes, as well. And we had tickets to the closing ceremony, so I was uh, around wow. events on that final day. But uh, but you made the announcement I on ten forty, Jeff. You were I at did. the mic at, at the, the time. The at goal. Granville Island Brewery. That's, that's we what, were, really yeah, Granville Island. We were doing Brewery. a remote. Yeah. I will right, we'll get a break in. We'll come back in a sec here. Sidney Crosby has just scored. Canada has won the gold medal. The celebration on Canada Hockey Place. And Sid the Kid, who really hadn't done much in the last couple of games offensively. He plays hard. He competes. He doesn't ever hurt you. But Sidney Crosby stepping up when Canada needed a hero. And the party is on coast to coast in this country of ours. Canada wins the gold medal 3-2, the final 14th gold medal of these Winter Olympic Games. And what a way to cap off what has been the most memorable two-week stretch in this city's history. Sidney Crosby wins it in overtime. Canada defeats the U.S. 3-2, the final score. Canada back on top of the hockey podium for the first time since 2002 when... They beat the U.S. in Salt Lake City, this time getting it done on home ice. And the Americans, as you can understand, crushed, standing just inside their own zone. They played so well and so valiantly. Didn't give up in the dying seconds of the third period. Got the equalizer with the goaltender pulled. Sent it to overtime. But Sidney Crosby from a fairly sharp angle. Lastly here, and this one has great Grady all hot and bothered. That's Steve Ewan. 
Former Vancouver Grizzly statistician says he inflated stats. Claims it was, quote, definitely reinforced internally by the team. His name is Alex Rucker, and he kept stats here at then GM place, right? He was on the Pablo Torre Finds Out podcast. Pablo Torres Finds Out podcast. And he talked about going to a seminar run by the NBA where they showed him highlights of uh, Stockton to Malone, and despite a pass to Malone from Stockton, that wouldn't be necessarily an assist because of lapsed time, number of dribbles. The NBA instructed them, oh, no, that's an assist because it's John Stockton. <laughs> Quote, Rucker, I left there clearly understanding that, yes, we are supposed to create the most accurate representation we can, but the NBA is also an entertainment business, and it's up to us in a very small part of statisticians to support or reinforce stars and excitement and fun. He said this was also present at the team level. And many have noted that Sharif Abdur-Rahim's stats were better here in Vancouver, Jeff, than they were on the road. Team was better here at home as well. And we see this Although in, not much. And we see this in hockey. And we certainly have seen uh, in recent weeks this massive audit of the hit statistics, yeah. the shots on goal. Cal Clutterbuck has made a career of feasting on you know the statisticians in his home rinks, whether it was Minnesota or uh, Long Island. Uh-huh. He's not alone, certainly. No, nope. I mean you can understand it, I guess, to a degree, but you don't often see people. Well, yeah, cop to it, copping to it. Here's the thing, though, and this may not be the case anymore. The NHL has certainly gone um, down a road of providing more stats and intel to its paying public. But I remember doing a story on analytics way back. So this is maybe. 14 years ago, maybe around the time of the Olympics, and talking to some agents who felt like the NHL was scared to death about analytics because it was more ammunition for agents to make cases at arbitration hearings, but even just in free agency negotiation, where they look and say, oh, well, those are the flat stats, but take a look at this, goals for 60 or this, that, or the other thing. Um, The NBA obviously went about it a different way back in Alex Rucker's time. The NHL has come away, so on set. You're on that page daily. Yep. Do you give them uh, good marks for the stats that they provide, particularly this year when we've gotten some of the data and tracking skating speeds and whatnot? Yeah, I, I've been a bit of a slow adopter to the NHL edge. I check it out from time to time. Uh, still pretty convoluted. I don't think that the site itself is terribly intuitive or, or user-friendly. Um I just want it right. So I want to know when I go and look at the basic statistics. So I applaud them doing the shot audit. The thing I can't stand right now is that after every period, and I swear every single period this year at Rogers Arena, you look at the shot clock at the end of the period, it'll say 10 to 7. At some point through the intermission, it becomes 11 to 5. Yes. And I guess that's part of this audit in yep. game. So I've now gotten to the point where I don't write down the shots on goal at the end of the period. I wait till wait the till start of the, the next start of the period. period. Okay, till they're cemented in uh, in place. No, I know we've been caught a couple of times. In fact, when Blake and I were doing the uh, Monday matinee live intermissions against Minnesota, there were 
Now you're like, Changes oh, the shots were 13 yeah. to 3. Oh, wait a oh, second. They no, they 11 were 11-8. Yeah. I've been burned so many times this year betting on shots because of that. Have you really? Oh, man. Oh, that I must don't be, do it anymore. Oh, that must be su- that's got to be a horrible beat. Horrible. Mm-hmm. Feel bad. Feel the pain. <laughs> but they had 13 shots. I saw it. It was on an official website. Sorry, kid. They had 11. You lose. And that's hashtags for today. Harmon Dial covers the Canucks for The Athletic, co-host of Canucks Conversation, although this week, big chair, buddy. <laughs> Freed of Quadrelli, you and Earth. How we doing? Doing great. How are you guys? Fantastic. You went to the game last night in the stands, did you? Yeah, it's probably been the first time in almost 10 years, probably. I had, um, I had some friends, um, one of my best friends in town. Um, they had tickets and they were like, please just come with us. And in the past, I've turned it down. Um, but I was like, why not? I have to watch this game anyway. So it was pretty funny. Um, they were giving it to me a little bit for like, we were all obviously watching the game, but I still have my phone out taking notes and making sure that uh, I remember things for the podcast and this hit. Um, so that was pretty funny. Dude. You're incorrigible. <laughs> I was going to ask, did uh, split power plays look any better at ice level or make any more sense at, uh, at, from the seats? I mean, it's funny because heading into it, I thought to myself, I don't think this is going to work long-term. I'm not the biggest fan of split power plays, but you know, for a couple nights to try and shake something up, I didn't hate the idea. Um, and you ran into a situation where obviously the Miller unit, um, great setup for Brock Besser. It's so much space in the bumper. I think there was definitely some sort of breakdown there for the Penguins. Um, you get that goal, but when you look at, for example, the Elias Pettersson unit, I don't think that they generated a, uh, a ton. So, I mean, look, you can't complain when you get a power play goal, um, especially because Pittsburgh gets a power play goal, but then they also get... Um, uh, scored on shorthanded by JT Miller. So the Canucks sort of won the special teams battle there. Um, Again, I'm not convinced that it's a sustainable long-term answer, but at least the Miller unit was generating some chances and ultimately scored a goal as well. What did you make of Miller last night, Harm? Just a monster. This is probably the best stretch he's played as a Vancouver Canuck, which says a lot because he's played a lot of quality um, hockey since he's, come out to the West coast here. He's just a monster in every way possible, how he's driving uh, offense, all the defensive zone starts went up against Sidney Crosby last night and generally held his own um, playing shorthanded now as well. The play that he had to give himself the break in the, in the first place where Pedersen sort of tipped the puck into space. Miller sort of gets it into midair, then bats it past uh, Chris Letang to set himself for the breakaway and then the snipe that he has that's an, an unbelievable solo effort um, to bail the Canucks out in a situation there where they've been taking a lot of penalties and discipline is becoming an issue so to have Miller coming there to to save the day um, has been was unbelievable I love the chance uh, later in the game uh, from the Rogers Arena crowd well-deserved and it's not just the offense that he's driving, what he's doing for the line, what he's doing you know, on the PK or all the points. 
energy-wise, passion, the fire. He's the type of player that uh, brings you oomph every night, um, has a little bit of an FU in his game, and that matters going into the playoffs. You need players that play on that edge, play with that hardness, uh, play with that grit, play with that determination. Um, And so he really is putting the team on his back right now uh, because there aren't, I think, enough other pieces throughout the lineup uh, that are firing on on all cylinders. Well, on that file then, uh, well, two follow-ups. Number one, our poll question, has JT proved you wrong? Have Did you expect all of this harm? And then I'd like to get into a little bit more of who needs to pick it up. Yeah, JT's proven me wrong. Absolutely. If you go back just over a year ago, uh, right before Rick Tockett came in, this is a player that was mightily struggling at even strength. He was still picking up his points on the power play, but... Um, he was being eviscerated for his two-way play, the turnovers, the uh, lackadaisical back checks. Um, overall, his ability to control play as a centerman at five-on-five was very much in doubt. And I remember in December 2022, one day sort of walking into the locker room for, with, uh, with the media group, and he was about to do a, a scrum, and he sees us, and um, he sort of chuckles and and. And this was a game where he was going going to go back at center after he'd spent some time on the wing. And he chuckles and goes, um, I can play center even though no one in this room believes I can. <laughs> and um, and I think he was aware of the noise that people in the market were doubting his ability to drive play um, as a bona fide top-line centerman. And he's absolutely uh, proven a lot of us wrong with, uh, with how – unbelievable unbelievably well he's uh he's played not just again the power play production but um tops in tops 10 or so in five on five scoring as well uh the canucks goal differential at five on five when he's been on the ice is through the roof i think before the pittsburgh game is 51 to 28 which you compare that to last year i believe the canucks were um in negative territory uh during his uh even strength shift so it's um it's he has absolutely proven me wrong needs to rub off on a few others though and it's pretty evident from the coach who continues to name drop him every post game and it feels like a a plea for help and you know the timing is interesting too with just all the Pedersen noise in this market and people want to see Elias Pedersen take this team on his back and do some of the things that JT Miller is doing it's not just Pedersen and I thought Pedersen had some moments last night that sequence on the wraparound and then when he stuck with it and lifted the stick over Eller and got his own rebound like if he had scored there uh place would have popped uh obviously that shift that led to the Hoaglander goal as well but uh, Elias Patterson, they need more from him, but they really need to get Elias Lindholm figured out and get him moving in the right direction as well. For sure, especially if he's playing in a third-line role where he's getting softer uh, matchups. Last night, for example, the Canucks didn't register a single shot with Lindholm on the ice at 5-on-5. Five five. That's unacceptable to me, and, and look, I get it. He's been through a lot. It, these are still early days. What he does in late February doesn't matter nearly as much as what he does when the puck drops for the playoffs. We get all of that, but there was no offense to show for the chances for Pittsburgh were nine to one. Uh, according to natural Statric, when he was on the ice, that line was completely caved in. And even in the third line role, Lindholm in that situation doesn't even need to be the primary play driver because that's what Connor Garland has been. He's a high end player when it comes to driving possession, being able to carry the puck up the ice, uh, set up offense, his own shifts. Lindholm just needs to excel as the second piece on that line. 
Uh, and that hasn't really worked. There were some moments in the Boston game in the first period where it looked like, okay, you're noticing him a little bit more. But last night was really tough. I didn't notice him at all for positive uh, reasons. There needs to be, even if he, even if he's not producing um, goals or points, there needs to be something there in, in driving offense and looking dangerous and uh, being some, being a player that adds something beyond just the face-offs and uh, the penalty killing it, it hasn't been there yet. And that's, um, that's a concern when the Elias Pedersen line hasn't been firing on, uh, on all cylinders either. Help me out on this harm because prior to his trade and in the immediate aftermath, we all talked about what a great fit he would be, you know, a right-handed guy who can play center, who doesn't need the puck to generate offense can, can be the finisher and not necessarily the career. We all thought he's going to be wonderful on the power play and fit in beautifully next to Elias Pettersson. What's happened there? How come it hasn't worked out the way we all thought? Well, I think more or less we're getting the player that we saw in Calgary. And I think the idea when the Canucks traded for him was thinking that as the quality of his line mates improve, because in Calgary, for instance, he spent uh, right before he's traded, for example, he's with Sharon Govich and a struggling Huberto. You're thinking, okay, if he's now with an elite playmaker of uh, Patterson or Miller's caliber in a complimentary role, he's he should pop off considering um, his success in 2021-22 when he scored 42 goals alongside Kachok and Gujarat. And we're still waiting for that player to reemerge because when you look at what Lindholm has been for much of the season, Flames fans really weren't pleased. And I know he'd been an all-star, but I think that was more um, like Blake Coleman had had a better season. But the NHL, considering his name brand value and the sponsorship sponsorship aspect, they're going to bring Elias Lindholm instead of Blake Coleman um, to the all-star game. And even in Calgary, he wasn't really driving play and his point production, considering he was playing top line uh, minutes and top, top uh, unit power play was, um, was pretty pedestrian. So I think we're, we're at a point where we just haven't seen the flip switched yet where, okay, this is a better environment in Vancouver. Um, you want him to be more impactful. I think part of it, might also be that when Lindholm got a shot to play with Pedersen, I don't think Pedersen was on top of his game. I don't think he was playing at his best. And that has to be part of the logic for Lindholm to be successful is when you look back at the tape of how he scored so many goals when he was a 42 goal scorer, it was hanging out in that high slot area, being a trigger man, scoring a lot of goals in the way that uh, Brock Besser has when JT Miller sets him up. Well, when Lindholm and Pedersen were playing together, Pedersen wasn't setting up enough of those cha- enough of those chances. I believe now part of the onus is also on Lindholm wasn't noticeable enough in also elevating Pedersen. But I-, I do wonder if Elias Pedersen gets going at some point down the stretcher uh, when we see him playing at a superstar level that we that we know he's capable of, then can we? see them perhaps reunited and, and we start to see Lindholm uh, look more dangerous as uh, as a shooter and as a complimentary piece, uh, especially in that slot area. What do you make of all the penalties that the Canucks have taken since the all-star break? And Rick talking has mentioned it a couple of times, challenged his guys to play tough, but play within the rules. Most minor penalties, most times shorthanded in the national hockey league by a considerable margin 
And I know the game in Minnesota kind of skews the penalty kill and people thought the refs had it in for them that day. But this trend is somewhat troubling to me. And again, a five on three last night, you know, the penalty kill has been better of late, but it just, it saps the energy. It parks guys that you want out there on the ice, on the bench for long stretches, way too many penalties. And it just doesn't feel like Tockett's getting the reduction that he he's asked for. Well, part of it is blue line construction. I remember when Nikita Zadorov was acquired, I was fully supportive of the move, but one of the potential weaknesses that I brought up that you have to be mindful of is the last three years, Zadorov, Myers, Cole, and even Carson Soucy, for that matter, were all among um, the worst defensemen in the NHL at taking penalties. Now, you look at the data this year, which players have uh, the worst penalty differential in the NHL, which speaks to how many penalties you've taken versus how many you've drawn. Uh, Tyler Myers is worst in the NHL. Nikita Zadorov is in the bottom five, and Ian Cole is bottom 10. So you've got three defensemen there that, um, that take penalties year in, year out, and they're just kind of following that trend. That's part of what you signed up for when you when you, especially in, in Cole and Zdorov's case, acquired these players, that's part of the the downside, especially in Cole's case. He's um, a, a slower player. In Zdorov and Myers' case, I, I think part of it is also just they're so big that everything they do is noticeable. What they do just gets caught by the officials every time. So in that Pittsburgh game, for example, you have Zdorov and Myers taking penalties, and you go down five on three. Yeah, it's easy to blame them and say, you got to be more disciplined, but this is what they've been year in, year out. They're not going to change at this stage in their career. What I do think needs to change is the forwards discipline, because that's where you don't necessarily have that pattern of year in, year out. These guys are who they are uh, in the third period. For example, I, I didn't like Lucas Pedersen's um, yeah. high staking penalty. I, I thought there was absolutely no need for that. Uh, Brock Besser in the neutral zone, his hooking penalty was needless to me. So, if you have a blue line that you know is probably going to take a lot of penalties, then it's incumbent on your forwards that you got to cut out the, especially the offenses on penalties. Those, those are the types that just drive a, a coach nuts. Um, if I'm Rick Tockett, I'm, I mean, I'm asking the entire team to be more disciplined with your stick, be more careful, but especially the forwards, because at, at some point, you may not just be, you you just may not be able to change what you have with your defensemen and how many penalties they take. What have you made of our steep Baines over his first week here in the NHL? I know you wrote about him. Yeah, I think for an AHL call up, he's earned more trust than um, than I would have anticipated. Uh, defensively, he's got some mature habits. Uh, I've liked his impact on the forecheck. I think the last couple of games, he has gone quiet. Like when I look at his overall body of work, I think his um, his debut game in Colorado was probably his best in terms of um, creating some offense, um, driving some chances. And since then, I haven't seen um, a lot of um, offensive impact, but I do think it speaks volumes that um, before the Pittsburgh game, for example, you looked at his first three games, he was eighth and five and five. Um, ice time among Canucks forwards ahead of pretty established names like Ilya Mikheyev, uh, Teddy Bluger, Sam Lafferty. Uh, and that especially means a lot because for the first two games, Rick Tockett didn't control matchups. 
So against the Avs, for example, he had to be comfortable with, okay, uh, Baines is going to get a steady diet of Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, and, and Kale McCarr. So in light of that context, I think he's been fine. Uh, at some point, if you're going to play in a third-line role, you are going to need some offensive production. Uh, that's, I think, what you're um, hoping for. The third line as a whole, I think, struggled last night. Now, that's not his fault necessarily. I think you're hoping for more from Lindholm and Garland. Uh, but he's been, I think he's been fine. I think uh, considering this is his first cup of coffee, um, I don't have a, a lot to complain about. But you also do see the difference there when you have Baines in that role versus a uh, uh, Dakota Joshua. Because with Joshua out of lineup and with Hoaglander, in uh, in a top six role now, it really does feel like the third and fourth lines aren't true difference makers like they were early in the season, and I think that puts even more of an uh, of an onus on the big guns, uh, the the top guys to start delivering offense. And outside of JT Miller, I don't think there's been a lot. Um, Patterson, of course, has been um, inconsistent, but also Quinn Hughes, he's. I don't want to criticize him by any means uh, because he's still played well. Um, he's generally been reliable defensively. He still moves the puck really well. Uh, but I do think there's another gear for him to hit offensively like he did early in the season. And look, he may just be gassed. Um, he plays a ton of minutes and um, the team's schedule since coming back from the All-Star game um, has been pretty heavy. But I, I think um, you could look at Quinn Hughes as well as a player that maybe has a little bit more to give uh, offensively now that you have a bottom six that isn't delivering offense at quite the level it was uh, in the first half of the season. I'm glad you brought that up. And it's not being critical of Quinn Hughes, but he set the bar so damn high for himself and, you know, the, the pre-Christmas portion of their schedule that I do think there's been a little dip in his play and certainly a dip in his production. And it goes hand in hand with the fact they have one win in their last six hockey games. Yeah, and it's interesting watching him play because I, I think he's still trying to do the same things when he gets the puck dynamically walking it, whether it's across the blue line or the move he makes where he dashes down the left um, half wall. But it feels like defenses have adjusted well to, I'm, I imagine they've pre-scouted a lot and looked at Hughes as, hey, this is their uh, one of their most dangerous players. How is he creating offense? How do we slow him down? And number one, they seem to be like the wingers, I think, are doing a better job of gapping up and making sure that he doesn't have um, excess space to spin around and make moves. Also, they seem to know that he's looking for that backdoor play because when he's dashing down that left half wall, Quinn Hughes, more often than not, is looking for that backdoor pass uh, across the seam. And it feels like those passing lanes have been taken away, that the players around the net that Hughes could be targeting those guys are tied up and when that's happening Hughes is often just kind of throwing the puck across uh, the slot and there's nobody to really put it home and it just harmlessly um, becomes a loose puck at the other end um, of the offensive uh, offensive zone so I, I do wonder if part of it is okay now that teams seem to be adjusting to how you were generating offense in the first half do you have to adjust, right? Because I'd like to see him shoot a little more in the, shoot a little more in the offensive zone. I think what he did so well in the first half was making those spin moves and then putting himself in a position where he could get off a lot of high slot scoring chances. 
And that's where he's been stuck on 12 goals, I think, for quite a while. I think uh, he was on a goal-scoring tear early in the year, and you're thinking, oh, 20 goals seems like a pretty safe bet here. Um, he seems quite a ways away from 20 goals now. So I wonder if he can reestablish himself as a shooting threat. And I don't mean taking low percentage shots from the point. I'm talking about doing his maneuvers, uh, using his edge work to put himself in high slot, actual scoring chance areas. Then I wonder if that will also open up passing lanes because now defenses are thinking both shot and pass when Quinn Hughes gets the puck. Whereas now I think it's a little bit predictable uh, that he's going to dash down the left half wall and look pass. Yeah. Six, uh, six of the last 11, no points for Quinn Hughes. Last question for you here. And I saw you guys wrote about this at the athletic, but you know, within reason, your trade deadline wish list guy for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. So this is tough because in an ideal world, I would love a Chris Tanev to bring in, stabilize the right side. I look at um, the game against the Penguins, for example. Tyler Myers was the pair that Rick Tockett most commonly used against Sidney Crosby line. And for as fine as I think Tyler Myers has been this season, I don't know how comfortable I feel about the idea that this coaching staff may want to use him in a matchup role come playoff time. And... When you bring in somebody like Tanner, we're of course also speaking about. Um, we know that he loved he loved his time in Vancouver. That he'd probably be open to an extension, and and so you could see like this could be a solution not just for this season, but beyond this season. But then you get into acquisition costs, it being a potential bidding war. Could the Flames get a f- first round pick? And as much as I love Chris Tanev, and as much as he is on my wish list for the acquisition cost. I don't know if I want to give up all those assets. Look, if it's a second round pick and something else, then maybe I can be convinced if I know that I'm going to get him at a reasonable extension. But if it's going to cost me a first round pick, I don't know if I want to make that deal. It's the same sort of thing when I when I look at the forward group because with Lindholm not quite finding his fit right now, I think this team needs another top six um difference maker you're in a situation right now where Dakota Joshua is your only top line injury and you're leaning on Ily McCabe in a top six role you're leaning on Pia Suter in a top six role you're also leaning on Niels Hoaglander in a top six role and Hoaglander's played pretty well but if he's in your top six then that means he's not driving play in your bottom six which means you're less deep as a team um, so yeah I'd love another forward but again at at um, at what price point? That's what I keep keep coming back to, especially if yeah, I don't you know. love the idea of going big on another rental. So if I am looking at okay within my within my means, um, I'd be looking at a depth uh, either a fourth liner or or a defenseman. I like the idea of a Brandon Duhame um, that Frank Saravalli Cer- uh, brought up, just because I think the fourth line, even though they did uh, allow uh, allow a goal, they started to look better. Um, in terms of having some heavy offensive zone, zone shifts, but I still think there's a missing element there where PDG started the season strong and he was always so noticeable for his forechecking. I think he's quieted, and while I don't mind him as as a depth forward, as a 13th or 14th guy heading into the playoffs, I don't know if I love him as an everyday fourth liner just because I don't think there's enough of an identity there. He he doesn't bring enough of a spark. And I look at Vegas, for example, in the playoffs, that fourth line when they had um, a Keegan Colesar or, or Nick Wah, 
it gave them an, an identity. It gave them energy. It gave them it gave them something every night. And it feels like on in in too many games over this last month at the fourth line hasn't been able to give them much of anything. It's like they step on the ice and you're just hoping that they don't get scored on. And I don't think that's going to cut it for the playoffs. And that's where um, Brandon Duhame, he can kill penalties. He's been doing that in a massive role for uh, for Minnesota. He's really well liked in the locker room. He's uh, his fan favorite over there. Mike uh, Michael Russo and Joe Smith did a piece over there where all the wild play- wild players were just um, you know uh, chirping him, making fun of him because he is such a well loved guy. Um, and um, he brings some speed. He brings some energy, some jam. Like he's going to be noticeable and give you a spark on that fourth line. I think Grady tells me you're a, you were a Sammy Blay guy before this interview that you've been banging the drum for Sammy Blay. I wasn't banging it. I was uh, asked about it um, okay. by uh, by uh, a listener. I, I think, I mean, I like Blay for his physicality, mm-hmm. but I think Duhame's a better, better penalty killer, Gotcha. Um, which to me gives him an edge over Blay. I don't mind the idea of Blay either, considering, I mean, both players would probably be cheap to to acquire, which is um, is massive, but. I think Duhame's penalty killing utility gives him a bit of an edge in my eyes. Gotcha. I'll say this. If they get a guy who was like PDG for the first eight games of the season, that could cure a lot of ills because that was a puck retrieval specialist there for a couple of good offensive players and it allowed them to get that balance across the four forward lines. Good talking to you again, my dude. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. We'll be listening on Canucks Conversation and uh, have you back here soon. Thanks, Arm. Thank you, guys. Take care of some price from Wall Center presentation. Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. Join us live March 13th at Park Casino, the official casino resort of the Vancouver Canucks. We'll be at BC Kitchen doing a show in advance of the game against Colorado. You receive 15% off the game day menu at BC Kitchen with your game ticket. Parks just steps away from Rogers Arena and you can sign up for Encore Rewards. Get $10 free play. At the Canucks Gaming Corner. We'll see everybody there on the 13th of March. Some really sad news to report here from the BC Lions alumni. Defensive lineman Craig Rowe passed away Monday after an 18-month private battle with stage 4 colon cancer. He was just 33 years old. His wife took to his Twitter account and said, Craig was not very public with his battle, and he truly just wanted to focus on bringing the best content and building the best products he could. He laid out a timeline for his business, so stay tuned. Many have asked how they can help. I've attached the GoFundMe to this post. This is at Craig Rowe, R-O-H, the last name spelled. Um, University of Michigan defensive lineman had an eight-year professional career in the CFL. Three years with the, the Lions. NFL. Yeah, mm. signed in 2015, so not that long ago. No, and a, and, and a I, I, charismatic, like, smart yeah, guy who was really liked by his teammates had um, had gotten into um, helping out coaches and players in his in in retirement. Um organization called D-Line University 
uh, in the vein of tight end you and some of these other position specific training uh, programs. Ah, oh, just what a just awful, awful turn. Anyways, our condolences to Absolutely. Craig Rowe and everybody with the BC Lions who uh, lost a good man far, far too young here. Let's get to our results from Monday's, sorry, Tuesday's poll question. We asked you, have you started considering Elias Patterson trades? A lot of votes on this, Jeff. 2100, yes or no? What did the people say? Uh, I'm going to say no. Yes. Percentage? Probably higher than I think. I'll say 76. 57. Oh, all right. Misread that one. <laughs> uh, well, you were spot on yesterday, so you had some equity built up. Morris, I voted yes because the Pedersen relationship with the organization just has a cool feeling about it. Additionally, Elias and his agents show very little interest in providing the fan base any indication whatsoever they have a, any long-term affinity with the Canucks. Uh, Jan has gone far down the road, says Anaheim and Buffalo are my favorite choices if they decide to make a move in the offseason. You had mentioned Anaheim and their terrific collection of young players. Uh, Ryan says, considered and hoped he's not a forever Canuck. The sooner we can trade him, Wielander, and Hronick for the Hughes brothers, the better. Elias Pettersson for Jack Hughes. Bring a Hughes brother over. Hey, if this is a trade, this is going to be one of the bigger trades in the last decade or so in the National Hockey League. You'll remember that one day where we had all the massive trades that went on with P.K. Subban and Shea Weber and Taylor Hall and Adam Larson. Right. I suspect an Elias Pettersson trade would be along those lines. I actually found myself looking up the Matt Duchesne and Eric Carlson trades, both of them involving the Ottawa Senators, where you're moving a significant piece and you take a look at some of the returns those teams got at the time, uh, I would suspect that Elias Patterson will be every bit the one that, of that trade if it comes to it. The one that jumps out to me of recent is the Jack Eichel one, of course, which fetched Peyton Krebs, Alex Tuck, conditional first, mm-hmm. and a conditional second. Right. Uh, errors and omissions from Tuesday's program and beyond. The uh, case of Brandon Duhame, <laughs> second in total shorthanded ice time with the Minnesota Wild, fourth in shorthanded ice time per game amongst their forwards, and then we'll 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 give them the benefit of the doubt in Calgary. Andre Kuzmenko still under the weather. We talked about how he was under the weather scratch, and then was the odd guy out and looked like it was going to be a healthy scratch. Head coach Ryan Huska saying he is still sick. He's not going to play against L.A. They expect him back Saturday against Pittsburgh. I had somebody point out to me that for all of our talk about Brandon DeHame and the penalty kill, the Minnesota Wild penalty kill was 28th in the National Hockey Ah. League. Maybe we shouldn't be propping up anybody that's part of their PK. Right. Grady, anything on your end? Yeah, we got a nitpicking one here from Adam, but I think it's fair. He says, and he admits he's he's picking nits, but uh, during the John Shannon interview, Matt said that Sid scored the golden goal in this building. He says, I don't remember Canada Hockey Place being at the Wall Center. Okay. And then <laughs> Leaf, 
Uh, he says, Matt, Bossy never scored in overtime versus the Canucks here at the Coliseum, only there at oh, their okay. Coliseum. All right. Fair enough. Fair mm-hmm. enough. If that's how I phrased it. I will take both those airs. Yeah, you Although will. the one about location is really, as you say, picking Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us, Rinkwide Vancouver Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Of course, we're live on YouTube, 1130 daily. Of course, support those community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.